Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast. As we continue steadfast into our ministry year, we begin a new series today where we are taking a deeper look into who and what the Holy Spirit is. This is a series we are calling Ghost Stories. Alright, so if you haven't figured it out yet, I am not Steve Nyland, not even close. Uh, if this is your first week, my name's Nathan, actually, and typically you'll see me up here doing worship. Um, me and my wife, Elena, kind of co-lead um, that ministry, and Steve is actually away uh, this weekend in California, so you can all send him a lot of upset texts that he's enjoying the weather out there. <laughs> but he uh, asked me to kind of kick off this series, so we're going to be talking about a series called Ghost Stories. Um, and I'm not big on surprises, if you know me at all, so I'm just going to give you the ending right now. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, and for the next kind of five weeks, we're going to be looking into what it is the Holy Spirit does within our lives, who the Holy Spirit is, and more characteristics on it. Um, yeah, so does anyone here, like, like scary movies at all? Like, anyone? Yeah, they're not really popular, so we only have, like, three or four. I actually love them. I love uh, being scared. I love the storylines in a lot of them. I even like the really cheesy ones that almost just turn to comedies at that point, and you just laugh because they're so bad. Um, and this month is usually, like, my favorite month because of that. Uh, because you know we have the month of Halloween coming up, uh, and if you go into your local Target or Walmart, you just see Halloween candy, costumes, everything. It, this is, like, the season where a lot of scary things happen. So we thought that this would be a good month to kind of bring in this topical series. But not only the time of year it is, but I think the time that our church is in right now is a good time to talk about something like this. Uh, Because if you've been in church any number of weeks, months, you've probably heard the term the Holy Spirit some way. You've heard things like gifts of the Spirit, baptism in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being Spirit-led. Does any of these terms come to mind when I start to say some of these things? And for a lot of us, maybe we have a basic understanding of what some of them might mean. For some of us, we have no clue, and it's just these Christian lingo terms that we use and throw out. So we thought it'd be good to kind of just take the next five weeks and just really look into what these things are and how they can be applicable to our life as a Christian. So to start off, before we can get into any of that, the first thing we need to really look at is the basic question, and that is, who is the Holy Spirit? Because before we can jump into anything else, we need to answer that question. We need to figure out who is this person that is constantly referenced within the Bible. So that's going to be my goal today. Over the next five weeks, um, we're going to have Steve digging into more of these concepts, like being baptized in the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, and we have a guest speaker for week five that's going to come in and wrap it all up. But today... That's my mission today, is to kind of figure out who is the Holy Spirit. And what I kind of want us to get from this, because that's a very broad question. You know, like, who is Nathan? How do I just take a person and describe him within 20, 30 minutes? And how can we apply that to our lives? What's the application here? Because I think any sermon without any sort of response is almost useless. We need some sort of application. How can we walk out of here changed and where's the process in that. So the process that I want us to walk out with and kind of the thesis of everything I want to say is that we need to live in full awareness of the Spirit. We need to live in full awareness of the Spirit. See, the Spirit is something that we all operate through. Every part of our Christian life revolves around the Holy Spirit. And whether or not you realize it, you do walk in the Spirit. For those of us who call on Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we've confessed with our mouth that he is Lord, 
And we've accepted the fact that he has died and risen again for our sins, and now he's waiting for us at the Father, and someday we'll be reunited. For those of us whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, we are Spirit-led, and we walk in the Spirit. And even though we might not always realize it, we do. You see, we think that we don't always operate in the Spirit, but what it really is is we don't acknowledge that we operate in the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit plays a major role in our life. When we become Christian, when we say the sinner's prayer, confess with our mouth, believe in our hearts, you know, all those things, God's Spirit now lives in us. And that's what makes us different than the rest of this world. We are to live like it. We are to act like it. Paul says it himself, that don't you know your body is a temple for the Lord and that God's Spirit lives in you. So before we can kind of get into any of that, we need to kind of just give a little background of what the Holy Spirit exactly does. So for those of you who don't know, um, this is just going to be kind of Bible 101. Some of you might have heard this for years and years. Some of you, this might be your first time hearing you, so I just want to get all on the same page here. But the Holy Spirit is part of what we call the Trinity. So the Trinity makes up God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, the word Trinity isn't necessarily within the Bible, and you're not going to find that at all. So it's kind of confusing um, for us Christians because we'll kind of like turn to it and it's not there. But the idea of what the Trinity represents is in there in Scripture completely. And it's almost universally agreed upon between all denominations, all churches, that the Trinity is a biblical concept. We see authors such as Paul, Peter, James, and they all kind of group the three together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself groups the three together constantly. We are commanded to love, disciple, and baptize all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And while they each hold separate roles, they are all one together and they are all fully God. And I could go on and on, and this could be a whole another sermon. So I'm just going to kind of leave it at that for now, but just so we're all on the same page. So my first point today is that the Spirit is fully God, 100% completely God. Before we go anywhere else today, we all need to understand that. The Spirit starts off in the second verse of the entire Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. The Spirit was there at creation. The Spirit was a part of that process. In Hebrews 9, verse 14, it mentions that the Spirit is eternal. Luke 1, 35 says the Spirit is all-powerful and the most high one. In Psalm 139, verse 7, it brings up a question whether or not it is possible to hide from the Spirit, implying that the Spirit is omnipresent, which means it is everywhere at the same time. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, says the Spirit knows the mind of God, making him omniscient, which is all-knowing. And then in Acts 5, verses 3 and 4, Peter says that if you are to lie against the Holy Spirit, you are to lie against God. So before we move any farther, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is God. Yes, it's a different form of God, different than the Father and the Son, and they all work together. But the Holy Spirit is God, and we need to live like that. So to kind of get into the main portion of Scripture that I'm going to focus on, uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Go ahead turn on your Bible apps or however you want to do that. Give you a minute to do that because once we get there, we're just going to jump right into it. So to give a little context of what this passage is talking about. 
John is one of the four Gospels, meaning the four accounts of Jesus' life on this earth. Um, his ministry, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, all these things kind of fit into these four different accounts of what happened. So, to give a little spoiler, what happens at the end of the Gospel, Jesus dies, he's resurrected, and he's brought up back to the Father, where he is today waiting for us. So Jesus is fully aware of what is about to happen, that he is going to die for the sins of us, for the people on the earth, for the people who are yet to come, for the sins of all humanity. He is going to die for them, for us, for you, for me. And he's explaining this to his disciples. Now his disciples were 12 individuals that he chose to kind of, kind of like his crew or his posse, just kind of walk around. He'd teach them, mentor them, and he would show them things about what it was like to live by the Spirit. So he's explaining to them that he is going to go away, that he's going to die, that he's going to be resurrected. And they're, they're having trouble understanding why is this going to happen. And so we kind of jump into the middle of this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. So we'll start at John 16, verse 7. Jesus tells them, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. All right. I need to breathe for a second. That's a lot. <laughs> so there's a lot going on here. Um, and the, Jesus is kind of, you know, communicating to his disciples what's going to happen, how this is going to work, what the process is like. And he does make it very clear that there's only so much he can tell them now. You know, there's only so much that they can comprehend. In the same way, there's only so much we can comprehend about these things. But kind of from this passage, there's two points I want to really hit on. The first one that we can draw from this is that the Spirit is a person. The Spirit is a person. The Spirit is an individual separate from the Father and the Son. And I know that, yes, the Spirit is fully God, and they are all working together as one. And that's where it gets kind of confusing, because our human minds can only comprehend spiritual things to a certain extent. So God does his best way that he can to communicate to us what he's trying to say. But within the Trinity, the Spirit acts as his own person. The Spirit acts as his own person within the Trinity. And for some of us, we might find that a little confusing. Because if we've been raised in church um, any number of years, or maybe this is, you know, your first time hearing this, a lot of us kind of view the Spirit as an it rather than a person. And there's reason to this. The, the Bible was not written in English, in case you didn't know. Uh, it was actually written in many different languages, two of the main ones being Hebrew and Greek. Uh, Hebrew for the Old Testament, Greek for the New Testament. So the word spirit is actually not the word that the authors wrote down when they were writing these things. When Jesus was communicating, he didn't use the word spirit. He used a different language that we eventually translate to spirit. So those two words, 
in the Greek is pneuma, and in the Hebrew it's ruach. And both of these words can be translated to other things other than the spirit. They can be translated to breath. They can be translated to wind or even air. And these are nouns that are not gender-specific and not even necessarily, like, human-specific. And so a lot of times in the translation, we see the word spirit being translated as other things. We know in Acts chapter 2, when the spirit comes in like wind, we see when God has the breath of life inside of us. We see the spirit being used as these other terms. And so a lot of scholars would now say that because of that, it allowed for mistranslation sometimes throughout the Bible. There's actually a really good example. Um, does anyone have, like, the Bible app, like, right now open? If you do, go ahead and look at Romans 8.16. If you don't, just write this down and look this up later when you have a computer or something. It's actually really interesting. Um, if you look at Romans 8.16, and you're going to want to go to, like, a website or something that has, like, one of the 30,000 different translations um, that you'll never use but yet are there. And if you look at the King James Version of that verse, not the new King James Version, there's two King James versions. Do the old one. You can see the Bible uses the term spirit itself, describing it as an it. But now if you switch your translation to something like the NIV, ESV, something more modern, it now describes the spirit as the spirit himself. So scholars are already starting to agree that at one point in time, we mistranslated the spirit to be an it. And that's due to it being similar to breath and air. But now it's more accurate to acknowledge it as a he, acknowledge it as a person. And not only the wording that makes it a person, but the characteristics that it follows. We see it acting as its own person, separate from the Father and from the Son. We see in Revelations 2-7, the Spirit speaks. We see in Romans 8, verse 26, he intercedes and helps us in our weakness. We see in Acts 16, verses 6 and 7, the Holy Spirit specifically leads Paul and his companions. We see in Acts 20, verse 28, the Holy Spirit appoints. So while, yes, the, the word spirit can be translated into other things, and it's correct to call it a he, it's also correct to acknowledge that the spirit acts on his own within his trinity. He has a different role. What the Father does and what the Son does is often separate from the Spirit, and the Spirit acts in his own interest. So going back to John 16, it's obvious to note that Jesus consistently refers to the Holy Spirit as a he. He says, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will guide, he will speak, he will tell, he will glorify Jesus constantly refers to this third person, acknowledging that the Spirit is in ways separate from the Father and Son. And in verse 15, he kind of wraps up this whole idea, saying, All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So he references all three right there. He says Father, he says mine, referencing the Son, and then the Spirit, giving them all separate roles within salvation. So the second point I kind of want to bring up is the Spirit is a gift. Now, how many are excited that it's about like 83 days till Christmas? Is anyone else counting down towards that? Anyone? That's really exciting. <laughs> so yeah, so Christmas is known for the gift-giving season. Now, has anyone received a gift that they 
just did not like before. You know, maybe from a family member, that aunt who keeps buying you clothes that you don't even like. Well, another gift-giving story. Um, I had just gotten married about, I don't know, a month and a half, two months ago. And with that comes a lot of gifts. If you've been married before or attended wedding and had to, you know, fork over a lot of cash um, just to attend the wedding, thank you for all those people who did that, by the way. But... You know, when you, when you go into this, going into, like, putting our registry together, we think it's pretty simple. We, we go on, we put what we want. You know, we went to Target, Bed Bath & Beyond, put on a registry. We want this, this, this. And yet there, there's always those people who, you know, kind of go rogue and then don't always get you what's on the registry. And I'm not, this doesn't apply to everyone because sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's like, oh, wow, we didn't ask for this, but we will gladly take it. But for other times, it's that awkward, you know, open it. And it's like, oh, I hope there's a receipt in the bottom of this bag. And you find yourself, you know, all of a sudden going and having two, three hundred dollars in store credit because you took everything back that, you know, you did not ask for. And the thing with a gift is you can give a gift, but you also have to receive that gift. We have the option to go exchange a gift. When your grandma gives you the worst sweater in the world and you just don't want to wear it, you have the option right there during Christmas to just say, I don't want this. Now, it's not socially acceptable, and I would not suggest doing that because that's going to be really awkward, but you have the option to not accept the gift. We choose to accept whatever gift we're given. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is a gift that we have the choice to accept. Now, we all know... I shouldn't say we all, some of us might not know, but there's a story in Acts chapter 2 when the group of people wait for the Holy Spirit to arrive just like Jesus commanded them. I don't want to hit this too hard because I'm sure we'll talk about it in future weeks, Um, but specifically the verse, Acts 2, verse 38, because the wording there, these people wait, and the wording is they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is acknowledged in the Bible as a gift. It is a gift to us. And going back to this chapter, John chapter 16, Jesus acknowledges the Spirit as a gift. But what gift is that exactly? You see, the Spirit is our advocate to God while there is no physical presence of Him on earth. The Spirit is our advocate to God while there is no physical presence of Him on earth. So what's an advocate? For those of you who don't know, um, my full-time job outside of doing worship here, um, I work with clients with mental illness. Um, I work one-on-one of them. Um, kind of building, the goal is to help them achieve goals to live more independently on their own. Um, So within my company, there are different roles, um, and another role within my company is called an advocate. And what they do is they're stationed at, we have housing for them, and they kind of all live together, and then there's a full-time advocate who works in the office there, assisting them with anything they need. They'll help them arrange doctor's appointments, paperwork, um, sometimes even meals, And so I've seen firsthand what an advocate can do. Because a lot of these patients we work with, they don't always have the skills to live on their own completely. That's the goal is we hope to get them there. But for a lot of them, they need this assistance. They need an advocate, someone to stand in the gap for them to reach a certain goal. Because for them to communicate, when they get a bill from their hospital, they don't always know how to communicate to either pay the bill or work through insurance. They need an advocate, someone to step in and build that gap. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit works as an advocate. We see right away in verse 7, Jesus says, the advocate will come to you. Jesus himself 
is sending the advocate. Why? He says later on in the different verses here, to prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, Jesus sends us an advocate to the Father. While there is no physical presence of Jesus on this earth anymore, we now have a direct line to the Father through the Spirit. That's why Jesus said, it's better for you that I go. Because Jesus was fully aware while he was on this earth. Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully human and limited in what he could teach us. If it wasn't for the crucifixion, he would have had an earthly death just like the rest of us because he experienced pain. He experienced human nature to a certain extent that he knew it was better for him to go so that we could have this spirit. We could have this presence. We could have this advocate surrounding us and being there for us to speak to us on behalf of God. And Jesus makes it very clear that he will only receive what God tells him. The Holy Spirit is our connection to God. That is how we are aware of the ways of God. That is how we know the direction our life is going into is because we live by the Spirit. Going back, when Paul said, now that we are believers in Christ, God's Spirit lives within us. And I kind of just want to draw attention to that because that's very significant. Because we think that we can do everything in our own power. And there are times where we even draw attention to God, like, God, you help me through this. But I think even more specifically, we need to draw attention. It's because his spirit lives in us that we are able to do these things. Because we are spirit-led, because we walk in the spirit, because we listen to its voice, that is how we are able to do the things and to continue the ministry that Jesus started on this earth. When we're having a bad day and we don't know how we can possibly put on a smile, but yet we know we're going to go into work and we need to show the love of Christ to someone who is just so unlovable, we're able to do that through the Spirit. When we go through trials and temptations and we just don't understand why God is putting us through this, but yet somehow we walk out on the other side a better person, we're able to do that because we walk in the Spirit. The Spirit is meant to be an advocate for you and me. It's meant to connect us closer to God. And like I said, whether or not we realize that, we all operate within the Spirit. Those of us who consider ourselves a member of God's family, we now have this gift that we have the option of receiving. And I think the most significant part about all this is not only did Jesus say these words, as instructions for us, but he lived it out. There's, there's many examples within the Bible of people doing this. There's examples of Moses when he led the children of Israel out of captivity. There's no way a human could possibly do that on their own without God's Spirit. There's examples like Daniel when he was thrown into the lion's den. And somehow he survived a night with lions completely untouched. He was able to do that because of the Spirit. There's examples like Ezekiel and Isaiah and even going into the New Testament, all the authors who constantly say this, but they lived by the Spirit. It was through the Spirit that they accomplished these things, but even more than that, Jesus operated fully in the Spirit. You see, because while Jesus was fully God, he was also fully human. 
meaning he experienced pain, he experienced death. And yes, he was without any sin in his life, but yet a lot of the things that us humans go through, Jesus experienced. And while Jesus was all-knowing, he still chose to rely on the Spirit. We see in stories like in Luke when the Spirit leads him into the desert. We see him do miracles through the Spirit. He specifically calls on the Spirit. So when he, in this chapter, is talking to the disciples, he's not just saying this as, this is what you are to do, but he is saying, this is what I have been doing. So when I go, this is what you are to do. You are to continue my ministry in the same way that I have started it. And that is living by the Spirit, through the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. If Jesus needed to work through the Spirit, the one who had no sin, the one who gave up his life so that we could have life, if he was to live by the Spirit, how much more do we need to do that? How much more do we need to rely on these things? How much more do we need to call on the Spirit's name and acknowledge his existence in our everyday life? We need to live in full awareness of the Spirit. Motion City, I can't emphasize this enough. There is so much that we're going to be going over in the next couple weeks. But before we do that, we need to just understand the basic concept of who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our lives. So I'm going to have the worship team come up as I kind of wrap this up. And the question I think that a lot of us ask is, how do we acknowledge the Spirit? Because there's a lot of, I think, stereotypes that come along with the Spirit. If you were raised in a Pentecostal church, um, you know we emphasize the Holy Spirit a lot in a lot of different ways. But there's kind of this analogy I want to draw from the Bible. Now, I, I mentioned earlier how Words in the original text of the Bible mean spirit. We have the word pneuma and the word ruach. And they mean other things, such as wind, breath, and air. And I think not only do we see in Scripture those words being used as analogies for the spirit, I think sometimes God wants us to look at that as literally the spirit. And now let me explain this. Starting from creation, we see in Genesis 1, verse 2, the Spirit is hovering over the water. Now, what else hovers over the water? Air does. Air is the thing that is just there consistently over the water. Within creation, we see kind of the steps that God took to allow His Spirit to be here on earth with us. You see, there's two places that air cannot exist, and that's up in space where there's no oxygen, or that's underwater. And so within the creation story, we see the steps. God first kind of makes this space vertically by separating the skies and the seas, allowing his spirit to reside there. And then next, he does it horizontally and creates land. So within all the galaxies, within the entire universe, we now have this, this space where God's spirit resides, where human life can live. And that's pretty significant. And then we also see when he creates man for the first time. You have the story of Adam, the very first man that's walked on this earth. And yes, God created living things. He created plants and animals. But when he created humans, there was a difference. And that is because 
he breathed into Adam's nostrils. He gave him the breath of life. And that's the difference. We now have God's spirit inside of us, breathing his spirit, living in his spirit. And this can go on and on throughout the whole Bible because we see in the story of Noah, when God decided to wipe out the earth, what did he do? The water rised, giving less room for air. He removed his spirit. And then when he brought his spirit back, the water went down, and now all of a sudden we have this place where we can have air again. But the thing about air is that we don't always acknowledge it until we're lacking it. It's only in the moments where all of a sudden we're drowning in water or we're claustrophobic and we need more space, then all of a sudden we realize we are missing air. And we say like, oh, I just need some air right now. You know, have you ever used that term? But we never use it in the sense when we have enough. Sometimes we do. It's in those spontaneous moments where all of a sudden we walk outside and there's this gust of wind and then we notice it and we're like, oh, wow, that wind feels really good. But when it's just peaceful, when it's silent, and we're just simply breathing, we sometimes fail to acknowledge that air is a gift to us. And we, we use terms that, like, we want to be desperate for the Spirit. We want to rely on the Spirit. But the truth is, at least the way I see it, is we can't really become desperate because we are desperate it's not like I, I want to be desperate for more air. No, but the fact that I am a human and I need air to rely on, I am desperate for air. In the same way, as a Christian, I am desperate for the Spirit, just naturally. I can't become necessarily more or less desperate, but I just am. I cannot survive without it. I need it in my life to guide me. I need it to direct my steps. I need it to speak to me. I need it as an advocate to the Father, So we're going to go into a song, and I, I asked them to sing this song specifically. It's an older one, so hopefully most of us remember it. But I think it's very, it just speaks on this idea that we need to draw attention to the Holy Spirit, and we need to acknowledge its presence in our life. And like I said, we're going to, we're going to go into so many great topics. So I would encourage you, keep coming back for the rest of this month. Because there's so much that we, that I want to just go into right now that I can't because we're just so limited. Because there's so much to this person of the Holy Spirit. But I hope that we can just have a better understanding going out today. And a better awareness of its existence in our life. So God, we just thank you for this time that you've given us. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you have given us as a gift to all of us. God, I pray that as we, as we draw near to the Spirit, God, that you may just make it evident in our lives, God, that in the times where we feel this gust of wind coming upon us, that we are thankful for that. But even in the moments that are peaceful, in the moments that are so simple, God, I thank you for the gift of life. I gift you, I thank you for the breath of life that you have given us. We just pray all these things in your name. Once again, thank you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast. We want to be able to walk with you and beside you as you go throughout life. So if you are ever in need of prayer, we want to be able to pray with you. Please email us at motioncityprayer at gmail.com. 
We would also love to have you join us in person next week as we begin a new series titled Ghost Stories. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at Falwell School of Performing Arts. We hope you have a fantastic week.